It is great for us to be back here at Grace Bible Church. It was interesting. Uh, first of all, I, I want to uh, just let you folks know one thing, okay? I've been in two churches now, and people have looked out as they were getting ready to introduce me, and they've looked down at myself and my wife, and they have said, uh, well, Bob, we are so thankful that you could be here today. And they stare at Noby and they say, and it's great that you could bring your daughter along as well. Okay, I want you to know that is my wife. I am not here with my daughter. Just to, to clear it, I'm looking older, I realize, much older than some of you who are some of my uh, age mates, and you've still got hair. I appreciate you, Brother Ken. You're, uh, we have something in common there. But uh, yeah, as, as we were driving up here this morning, I thought back to 1964, and at that time, this building was not here. Uh, my father had looked not on the internet, because back then, the internet wasn't there either. But he looked in the yellow pages, if you know what those things are, and found a church called Grace Bible Church. And we got in our car and drove over here, and I remember that first Sunday morning I was here, Gene Worthington was teaching from the book, None of These Diseases. Uh, I, I still remember that to, to this day. And it's nice to see a few of the Worthingtons here. But uh, you guys, I, I do. It feels like coming home. There's some new faces, some of you that I, I don't know, and we're looking forward to, to getting to meet. But uh, this has been our home church for, for many years, and it's great for us to be able to come home. Um, we used to meet over in the fellowship hall, as I believe it's called now, and uh, at that time, Pastor Lon was the pastor. But there's been a lot of water has passed under the bridge, and I'm just going to try to bring you up to date. I'm going to give you a very quick overview of the past 30-some years of our lives to, uh, to bring you to where we are today, some ministry changes ahead for Noby and I, my wife, not my daughter. Um, but in 1977, Noby and I left uh, here and traveled over to Papua New Guinea. And we had no idea of who the tribal group was going to be that we were going to be working with. We went through the training with New Tribes Mission, uh, who, if I could state it, specialize in working with unreached people groups, with those who have not had the chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, arrived there in Papua New Guinea, went through our orientation time, and had the chance to go on, on a couple of surveys. And I remember one of them was to a place called Iteri, and we, uh, we arrived up there, and this man comes out holding two skulls, and uh, grandma and grandpa that he was carrying around with him that day. And I thought, man, this is my kind of place. I wanted to go to the roughest, the toughest, uh, you know, new tribes mission. You know, I, I wanted to fit the name of our mission group. The Lord closed that door uh, through a number of circumstances, and we were asked to go and do a survey to another location. It was called Bisorio. And I, I had been so excited about this other place, had no idea what Bisorio might be like, but uh, going along with the wishes of our leadership team, got in a boat, took a two-day trip by river, and arrived in this little location called Bisorio. And uh, living here, you guys, you, you will have a hard time. You're, you're going to see a few pictures of, of current day Bisorio land in, in just a few minutes. But if you can imagine that today 
in the year 2009, the modern world that we live in, there are people that are living back in the jungle. They have no idea, many of them, never been to a store, uh, have never attended school other than our little literacy classes that, uh, that our people are still carrying on for them. The only way that they can start a fire is with bamboo pulling on it to, to get a fire going. They, many of them have never seen an electric light bulb. Uh, they're, they're just living away out in the jungle. And we've tried to describe to them the world, and they have no concept other than their little area of the jungle. No idea that there's an America and that there's a, an Israel and all of these things apart from the teaching which we have given to them. When we first went there, we did not realize exactly all that was involved in working with the Besorios. We did not realize that there were only four adult Besorio men that had not taken at least one life. And many of them had been on raiding parties, constant fighting back and, and forth across the hills. The majority of them had been involved in taking many lives. And uh, I remember this one man speaking in a, in a very high-pitched voice and, and never knew why for years until he told me it was because of an Inaru spear that had gotten him in the neck. And I think God, by his grace, spared him to where he would be able to hear the gospel. But these people lived in fear, lived in fear of the thousands of these little spirits called yamas, nine inches tall, uh, long black hair covering their body, long pointed ears and, and bright red eyes. We arrived there with the purpose of learning their language. When, when we first got there, does anyone have the gift of interpretation? Uh, okay, ma'am. <laughs> There is one who is filled with... No, not filled with Israel. But uh, yes, that, that was all they spoke. And, and I remember when we moved into the tribe, I remember walking down to the riverbank and, and another family had brought us up there and helped us build our house and, and helped get us started. And we walked down there to the river and, and this family took off. And, and they were leaving us for two weeks and then they were going to bring some food back our only tie with the outside world, you know, and, and we saw them take off. And I remember we're down there at the bank of the river and just bending around to see as long as we could. And they took off and, and went around the bend and, and I'm holding the wife of my hand. I've got my little three-month-old daughter, Christy, in, in one arm. My little daughter, Carrie, year and a half old, down here at my side. And we turned around and there was the Bisodio Nation. And they didn't know us. And we didn't know them. And they had no idea. No idea why these white-skinned people had come there to live with them. And, and we tried to explain, although we couldn't, because they couldn't speak our language. There was a couple of them that could speak a little bit of the trade language of Pidgin English. We want to come and live with you and, and tell you about God. Their reply was not, who is God? But what is God? They had no idea about the Savior that, that we were singing about this morning. No idea about the fact that he had a son named the Lord Jesus Christ that died on the cross for their sins. 
uh, they thought maybe that we wanted them to do our work. And, and so they would help us as we made these funny scratchings on what they called banana leaves as we're writing down their language and, and trying to learn. At the end of two years, we learned their language. Um, and then another year learning culture. And then we began to teach them for the first time, for the first time they heard about the word of God, they were captivated by it. Uh, this, this one who had created them and, and placed them on this ground. And, and then they heard about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They fell in love with Jesus. And to the, at, the, at the present time today, my friends, there are five churches that are scattered in, in different areas out there in the hills of Papua New Guinea. And again, all of the praise and glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, his work, which he has done, uh, they have the New Testament in their hands. And it's exciting, you guys, because as, as soon as they bring a new group of people to Christ, as, as soon as they go out on one of their outreaches, which we're about to see, but as soon as they go, you know, the first thing they do, they go down and they get the literacy material and they bring it up there and they stand there and uh, teach the people to read and write. And then they go and they get the New Testaments and they give them to them as gifts because they want them to have God's word. I recall uh, one time when my wife and I, we, we were ministering with them for 10 years. After that 10 years, we had to leave. We, we had just finished the New Testament. We moved up to our headquarters up in the highlands of Papua New Guinea and went into a, a different type of ministry. Uh, at that time, we were involved in leadership. Nobi was allergic to the jungle around us, and the doctors told us that if we stayed there, she would not make it. Uh, at the end of our time there, she was sleeping, literally sitting up. She, she couldn't lay down in bed. So we went into a different ministry, but we would have the chance to go down and visit. And at the end of 10 years, we, we couldn't take it anymore. They didn't have any of the Old Testament. We wanted to do a little bit more discipleship. So we asked them, man, can we move back to the tribe? And our, our leadership let us, let us do that. We returned down to the tribe. And the first week I'm there, a gentleman named Tsuduwama uh, came down to our little village. And he walked in, knocked at the door came into our little house there and he took out his coin purse and he opened it up and he emptied it out on, on my table. And he said, Bob, he said, I want to know something. How many New Testaments can I buy with this money? And I said, Tsunoma, what, what's the deal? And he says, well, he said, while you're away, he said, I went up to where my, my in-laws live. He said, there's a, there's a group of people. And he says, I've been up there teaching them for months. He said, they, every one of them believed in Jesus. He said, there's a, there's a brand new group of 12 people up there in this little location where we are. And he said, he said after I, I led them to Christ, he said, I taught them to read and write. And he said, now they need God's word. He said, that, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I wish I had more money. This is all I've got. How many New Testaments can I buy with this money? I said, Sudoma, put the money away. That's, that's not even an issue. He, he took the, the New Testaments, turned around the next day, hiked three days through the jungle back up there to this location, turned right back around came back down and said, okay, Bob, now I want you to disciple me. 
I said, no, Tsudoma, I think you've got that backwards. I want to learn from you. Uh, what we're going to do right now, Sam, if you've got it ready, is we're going to show a little picture. And this is, is about some of the most modern besorio that I can show you. This is from, from two years ago, and I'm just going to give you a very brief background. Uh, with our current ministry, and I, and I will tell you a little bit about that right after we see these pictures, but Nobi and I, for the past 10 years now, have been traveling around throughout Asia on behalf of New Tribes Mission. We have no longer been living in Papua New Guinea, but our ministry has been one of trying to coordinate the different fields in Asia where, where New Tribes Mission is working. We've traveled every year to Russia and Mongolia and China, Cambodia, Thailand, Philippines, Papua New Guinea, India... Uh, Indonesia and probably a couple of others that I'm leaving out in there. But, it, but uh, every year we get the chance to go back to Papua New Guinea. And when we do, the highlight of my year is going back to Bisorio land. And our airstrip is no longer there. Now it means this old man has to get on the trails and hike down to Bisorio land. It used to be much easier when, uh, when I was down in my 30s and especially in my 20s. A couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, hit 60. So it's not quite the same now. But I remember getting out of the plane and Tsuruma, this man that said uh, he wanted me to disciple him. He was sitting there with, with some other Bisorios and they were playing the song on the guitar, welcoming me back. I got out of the plane. They put a lay around my neck and I think they were just fattening me up for the slaughter because the next thing he said is, Bob, I hope you're ready to hike because he said, we're going on a five day hike or three, excuse me, three day hike through the jungles because he said the last unreached group of Bisorios is going to be hearing the gospel this next Friday. The last pocket of unreached Besodios. He says, we've been in there teaching them for months. We knew you were coming in here. It's coinciding with the time that, uh, that they are going to be hearing the gospel. So we're hiking you out there. And, and I notice as, as we're going along, Tsuduama is walking with a limp. And he's got a huge boil on his seat. And, and as we're going along the first day, he's going up these mountains. I'm gasping for breath. These muscles here, they, they were doing a funny thing. They were cramping and quivering. And it was a very uncomfortable feeling. And I'm thinking, we've got two more days of this. I didn't know if I was going to make it. Uh, but Sudoma is walking along with this, with this lamp. And I said, Sudoma, man, what's the deal? He says, Bob, he said, I've got this huge boil. I said, Sudoma, I said, man, are, are, are you going to be able to go on? Do you know what he said? He said, they're going to be hearing the gospel on Friday. I've got to go. Isn't that incredible? He said, Bob, if it was for money, he said, I'll tell you. He said, if I was just going for the sake of money, I would not go. But he said, they're hearing the gospel for the first time. I've got to go. And, and we made it. And you guys, let's uh, show the, the picture now. And then after that, I'll just tell you just a little bit more about it.
The Lord has given me a few incredible experiences as a minister of the gospel, as a missionary. But I tell you, that trip was one of the extreme highlights for me to see the fact that here we had not been the ones to motivate them. Uh, Tudoma, you saw him standing there with the word of God. His wife, I don't know if you caught it, was the one wearing the San Francisco <laughs> shirt, one that I got here. She's now wearing it proudly. It's probably about the only shirt that she owns. So she's representing us well. I want you to know that. But... Uh, uh, as, as we got there to realize that these guys on their own had gone up there. Um, I'm, I'm not going to take time to go into it right now. But years ago, the uh, one of the bushiest looking fellows that you saw there came to our village right after the Besodios had come to Christ, pleaded with us to send them a missionary, threw sticks down on the ground and named off name after name of the people that lived up there in that area, stating that they were going to die and go to hell unless we could send them someone to go and share the good news with them. We just had a brand new church. They lived days and days away from where we were. There, there was no way we could go at that time. Uh, two years later, they came back to us and they said, you know what? You no longer need to come because we've got our own God. Our God has appeared to us from the sky, a bright light, and he's told us, don't listen to the talk of the white man. They're liars, and if you listen to them, I will send a flood and destroy you. And they, they, and they said, and he gave us a new language, and they spoke in a language that we did not understand, and our besodios didn't understand. But I honestly believe that in some way, Satan appeared to those people and their hearts were hardened and we had done other outreaches near that area. But the fellow that you saw in that picture, one time our guys went up there and said, Bob's coming up with some of the other besodios. Will, will you come and hear the good news? And he sat there and he beat on the rock of this cave that he was living in. And he said, do you see this rock moving? And they said, no, we don't. Then he said, neither am I. And I will not come and hear your talk. Because we've got our God, Denia. He takes care of us, and he's all that we need. Um, this, right before this gospel presentation, Tsuduama sent word to him, and he said, I want you to know, I am coming to your area, and I'm going to teach you. And they said, no, don't come. They said, we're not ready. There's not food for us to feed you. Uh, there's no houses. There's a fight going on. And so Sudoama sent another fellow to, to tell them he was coming up to teach. The guy got halfway, got rejected. Sudoama, as he's going up there, meets this fellow at the halfway point, And he says, what are you doing here? And the guy said, it's off. We, we can't go there. They don't want us to teach. And, and Sudoama says, we are going. And I am going to teach them. If they don't want to listen, that's up to them. Uh, he arrived at the location. He got the people together and he said, listen, I am going to start teaching you. If you don't want to come and listen, that's up to you. But I'm building a house right here. I'm bringing my family and we're going to share God's word with you. As the end result of that, as I had the privilege of witnessing 17 people in that little location out in the middle of no place, place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
A literacy program was carried on. They taught them to read and write, and they now have God's word in their language, the New Testament. Uh, anyway, it was just a, a very, very exciting thing for, for me to be able to witness. Now we're going to jump forward a little bit, and I'm going to go to two years ago and share with you something that was life-changing for myself and for my wife uh, as, as we were continuing with our ministry with New Tribes Mission Getting ready to, to leave for the Philippines, I went in for a little medical checkup, and uh, as we try to do on a yearly basis over there. And we went to the doctor, and I had noticed a swelling on my body. It, it had been there for at least a year, and it's one of those things that you always put off getting checked into. Again, we're leaving the next day, and, and, and Nobi said, Bob, I want you to check it. I said, man, we're, we're leaving tomorrow. Maybe when we come back, she said, no, we put this thing off long enough Please go get it checked out. So I, being the obedient husband that I was, I said, sure, I'll go. And so I go in there and they're, they're doing an ultrasound. And all of a sudden, things got very quiet in the room. And I'm thinking, this really doesn't look as good as I was hoping. But uh, the, at the end of it, they took me over to another little room and they said, uh, Mr. Kennel, please wait here. And the doctor is going to be here in just a minute. I said, okay. So I went over there, and in, in, in Thailand, you don't wait a long time for results. Like you would have here, it was there within five minutes. And the doctor came in, and he looked at the results, and he looked at me, and he said, Mr. Kennel, this is the beginning of a very long, sad story. And he said, you've got a tumor, and this tumor has got to come out as soon as possible. And I'm thinking, okay, we've got our tickets bought. We're getting in the plane <laughs> tomorrow morning and we're heading off to the Philippines. I said, uh, so what are you thinking, a month or two from now? Or He said, well, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, I didn't think I was having an operation, but I may have been wrong. Well, anyway, he put it off for one more day. Uh, we went, I went in and had a tumor removed from my body and... Uh, about the size of, a, of an orange. And uh, anyway, by God's grace, we've had a, another checkup since then and still cancer-free at this time. They, they were able to get it all. But you know what? At that time, uh, Nobi and I started doing a lot of thinking. And I, I felt like, in all honesty, when, when they began, the, the doctor was basically stating, you know what, Bob, this... This is probably going to be the end because this is a large tumor. Uh, it, it's not good. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're probably going to be looking at, at things ending. And I'm thinking about my daughters. I've got one in, in PNG and nobody's going to be sharing with you about our kids next week. But I was thinking, I've got one daughter in PNG. We, we need to get to her in here sometime. And, and Christy back in the States and, uh, Boy, you know, you're, you start thinking right away when you hear the word cancer. Uh, but God in his grace, the, the doctor didn't know my God. And, and he didn't know that our God has something more for Nobi and I to do on this earth. But you know what I started thinking? I started thinking, I want my time to count. I, I don't know how long I've got. Uh, you hear about cancer and it's always somebody else, you guys. It's always somebody else. And come on, I'm a young man of 60. I can't be getting cancer yet at this time. It's always somebody else. 
But this time, it, it wasn't. And, and, and we, we started thinking and praying and, and thinking, Lord, maybe we've got 10 good, strong years left in us. How can we most effectively serve you? What would be the way that our lives could count the most for you? How could we be most effective? And as we traveled to Papua New Guinea this last year, uh, we got to visit around and, and there was a tribe that's right next to Bisodio, right next door. It's the one that we fly into when we go in and visit in our area. And, and I said to Nob, I said, hey, honey, what would you think? What would you think about us moving back to the tribe? Because this tribe doesn't have the word of God. It's, a, it's in the same language family. It would be, I would say, similar to us right now going from English to German, learning the German language, something about that similarity. I said, what, what would you think of our going back and, uh, and learning a language, giving them the New Testament, translating for them, and, and, and trusting God to see a church established? And my wife may be crazy, but you know what she said? She said, yeah. She said, Let, let's trust the Lord for that. Let's, let's see about it. We went, we approached the team. Uh, again, we, we know them. There's two families that are in there right now. We said, you guys, and, and Nobi and I had said, if, if they gave us any kind of a negative, any kind of a negative, we, we would take that from the Lord and we would say, okay, that's it. We're, we're not going to go. The door is closed. That will be it. And we, we called them aside and we sat down with them. It was out at our, at our field conference for, for the CPIC region. We said, you guys, we said, we, we don't know. We haven't run this past our leadership team, but we just want to make a proposal to you. If you have any qualms about it, then, then we won't, you know, we'll, we'll take that from the Lord. And we said, but, what would you think about our, our coming and joining your team? And you guys, just a blank look over their eyes. And Nobi and I looked at one another and we said, well, I, I guess we've got our answer. Uh, the answer to this one is no. And then we looked again and tears started coming down their eyes. And they said, Bob, never in our wildest dreams would we have thought of asking you, but we would love to have you guys come and join our team. So anyway... Consequently, this next January, Nobi and I are changing our ministry of traveling around Asia, and we have the high privilege of moving back to a new tribal area, and we're going to learn their language, and we're going to trust God to, to see a strong church established against the Malomanda people. You'll be hearing their name a lot more in the days ahead, but... Uh, I, I would like us to turn to Psalms 39, and I would like to go over those verses that we read. And am I getting older? Yes, I am. If I said Genesis 39, that's just the old age creeping in. <laughs> but again, I'm going to read to you Psalms 39, starting off with verses 4 through 7. And I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And if you don't have it, you might want to just listen along as I read it. It puts it a little bit differently, but I really like the way that the ones who put this together laid these verses out. Psalms 39, 4 through 7, where it reads, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life 
no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Verse 6, we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, or at least we try to. In today's economy, it's a little bit harder. But we heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. And down to verses 11 and 12. When you discipline us for our sins, you consume us like a moth. You consume like a moth what is precious to us. Each of us is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears, for I am your guest, a traveler passing through as my ancestors were before me. And I, and I like the, the description that the Lord through David uh, laid out for us here in these verses. My days are numbered. Our life is fleeting. We're merely moving shadows. Each of us is but a breath. I am your guest. I'm a traveler passing through. And you know what? The, the Lord led me to these verses right after I had that, that little bout, if I could put it in that way, with cancer. And Nobi and I started thinking, and we started saying, Lord, what are our priorities? What, what are the things that, that mean the most to us? What, what are we really living for? What is, what is our passion? And I want to ask you the same thing. What is your passion in life? You know what? When I was thinking that, that maybe... If, if what the doctor said was true, Mr. Kennel, the beginning of a long, sad story. You know what? If the doctor was true, then I was thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm getting older. God has given me a tremendous life. I, I want to see my daughters in another time. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm really not. But you know, these thoughts go through your mind. How much longer do I have? My life is a breath. A vapor. Uh, we're like a flower that is here for such a short time. And then it's gone. What are we living for? We sang some tremendous songs. We sang about the God who every lightning bolt, he places it where, he's, where it's going to go. He created the earth. He calls the stars by name. You know what I was thinking about when we were singing those songs? I was thinking about a group of people called the Bisorios, and I was thinking about the Malamandans, and I was thinking about the people in Thailand, and I was thinking about millions upon millions upon millions that do not know our God. And, and again, next week I'm going to be sharing with you a, a lot more about what the plight of so many of these people is like the falseness of, of, the, of the beings that they believe are their gods. But you know what is, as we traveled around, as we went into Bisorio, one of the first things that we did is we began culture study. We began finding out the way of life of the Bisorio people. We had to find out what made them tick if we were going to be able to share <clears throat> the good news with them. 
<clears throat> Whoever put that water there, thank you very much. As as we began doing it, we found out how they spend their time. We found out the things that are most important to them, the thing that drives them, their fear of the spirits. We found out how important a house and a family is to them. We found out how important it was to be prepared for their enemies who lived across the mountains. We found out how they're driven sexually and how what a, what a huge part this plays in their lives. And as we spent time with them, God gave us more and more insights as we watched them day after day after day. I just wonder, how would we like it if someone would do culture study on us? How would we like it if someone did like we did and, and the Besodios allowed us to do it? We'd go and we'd stay in their houses. I, I would go out there and, and walk the trails with them and spend weeks with them. And, and we'd come to a mountain pass. And, and the first time we had been there and they'd stop and they'd, they'd stick some sticks down in the ground and they'd, they'd build a little fence. And then they'd say, okay, we're going through one at a time. But when you go through, go through quickly. Step through this little opening. And as we're getting ready to go through, they take more leaves and they brush our bodies and then we jump through and we go through and get on the other side and then they seal it off. And I said, well, what are you doing? They said, well, we don't want the spirits that live on this side of the mountain to come follow us over to this side. And I'm sitting there looking and I see the fence is only this long. I said, don't they know how to go around it? Well, you don't ask that question. You don't ask that. That's illogical. They don't go around. They're going to follow you through the fence if they're going to come. But you know what? What if someone had the opportunity in the same way to follow us around and to watch our lives and to start doing culture study on us and to see what are the things that we're passionate about, to see the things that are most important? What would they find? What would they find in Bob Kennel? Well, they'd find a person that does enjoy exercising. It's getting harder now that he's getting older, but that, that's one of my passions in life. He'd find a person that thinks he likes golf, although his scores don't show it. Uh, they're still not getting that much better. But you know what? It would be really interesting. Would they find a person who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. If they were looking at our lives, if they were studying you, following you around, looking at the days of your lives, seeing the things that are most important. Hey, food would be up there on my list, way up there. They would find that out real quick. What else would they find out? Would they find out as they travel around that here's a person that's passionate about their God? Would they find a person that's passionate about the Word of God? Um, I recall when I was here at Grace Bible many years ago, there was a missionary here named Dick Jones. How many of you remember Dick Jones? We're going back okay. There are a few of us. There are a few of us. Dick Jones was my hero back then. Uh, he loved sports. He was excellent at tennis. Excellent at tennis. 
excellent at playing the trombone. He could sing great. Man, I, I was so impressed by him. And his last day here in Redwood City, he, he returned down to Panama. He worked with HCJB radio, uh, missionary radio. His last day here in Redwood City, I went over to Joyce Manchurian's house. And I had the privilege of having breakfast with him. And he turned to me and he said, Bob, he said, what are you passionate about? He said, what are you going to spend your life living for? He said, I trust, I trust it's going to be living for things that count for eternity. And he said, you know what? He said, I'm just going to give you a warning. He said, what Satan desires in your life is not that you fall into deep sin and and get way off the mark because then you're going to want to come back. He said, he doesn't necessarily want that. What Satan wants is he wants you to be complacent. He wants you to not have that fire burning in your heart. Because he said, you know what? If you're complacent, he's got you. He's got you. He doesn't have to drag you down. He doesn't have to drag you into drugs or whatever. All he's got to do is get you complacent. Because then you're going to be ineffective as a believer. Ineffective for the kingdom of God. And you know what? I wonder, you guys, would God find, or or would this anyone that's watching our lives, would they find a, a complacency setting in? Would they find that maybe we've lost that first love? Man, I remember, I remember when I first came to Christ. I, man, 14 years old, 14 years old, the year before we moved out here, became a believer. I remember uh, when I received the Lord, I, I had fell in love with him. I, man, I carried my Bible to school, carried my Bible every day, and, and I would pray for people to, to share my faith with. And that lasted for a while. And then I became complacent. For, for a while, you guys, I became complacent. I became ineffective. But you know what? It was here at this church uh, that someone shared a verse with me. And that verse was 1 Corinthians 6.19. And it says, Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I realized back then, you guys, you know what? I'm not my own. I cannot call the shots with what I'm going to do. He purchased me with his blood and he purchased me to live for him. And so that's why you guys, this year, this year in the year 2009, Noby and I came to the place and we said, God, how can you use us most effectively? And we believe it's going to be going back to a tribe. And some people have said, you're crazy. Do you realize how old you are? I'm starting to when I look in the mirror every day now. But you know what, you guys? 
I want to finish well. I want to run the race. I don't want something to come up that would discredit me. And I don't want to get to the state where I become complacent and where I lose the fire and the desire to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and to make him known. Um, I'm going to take you back in time uh, to October 20th, 1968, to Mexico City Olympic Stadium. And it was the final day, the, the day that the Olympics were closing down there. Some of you may have even seen this event. Uh, many of you would not have. But on October 20th, 1968, closing ceremonies. People have received all of the rewards. They've had the marching of, of the uh, Olympiads, of the athletes. Things are closing down. People are standing up to leave this huge stadium. And then all of a sudden, an announcement comes over the public address system. Everyone, please be seated. Please do not leave yet. There is one event that still remains to be completed. And, and the people that were in the right location could look down and they saw the sirens coming. They saw the blue lights flashing as one gentleman was running into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania. He was finishing the marathon. Everyone else had finished hours before. But he was still running. And as he came into the stadium, he was limping along. There was blood coming from his leg. But he went all the way around and he did his final lap. And as he was going around, everyone in the stadium got to their feet and they were cheering and clapping and just driving him on to finish the race. As he went across, he collapsed and they rushed him to the hospital. And what had happened when he began the race 26 miles before, he had stumbled Athletes had stepped on his leg. His leg was wounded. Blood was coming out. But he got up and he kept running. He got up and he kept running. And the next day, they went to him and they had an interview. And they said, John Stephen Aquari, please, please tell us the, the, the one thing that everyone wants to know. Why, when you were hurt at the beginning of the race... Why is it that you kept going? And he said, you know what? He said, my country did not send me 11,000 kilometers to begin a race. My country sent me here 11,000 kilometers to finish. And I wanted to finish well. You know what, my friends? Uh... You know what I want to do with my life? I want to be like the Apostle Paul. And, and please read, read with me. I'm just going to read a few verses in closing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And it reads, As for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. 
The time of my death is near. And look what Paul says here. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. My friends, can we say with the Apostle Paul, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize is waiting for me. Can we say, is this our hearts? Can we say like Tsudoma, who maybe was hurting, who maybe had a boil? I've got to keep going. I must go. I've got to finish that which God has for me. And my friends, I pray this for each and every one of us. I pray that we will finish well for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? You know what? You're not your own. You, you may think so, and I, and I know I like to. I'm, I love to be independent. I love to do my thing. I, I love to do the things that I like to do. But you know what? I can't because I was bought. I was bought with the most precious thing that's on the face of the earth. You saw in those pictures, I, I don't know if you guys caught it, uh, when uh, they went up there and they went up to this place called Willifa and led that group of people to Christ. That The blood or the food coloring that was there, do you know where that came from? I was thrilled when I saw this. Thrilled! For two years, this little boy, the son of Tsudawama, had gotten a bottle of food coloring from the, from us, from missionaries. And he kept it for two years in anticipation of this group of people hearing the gospel message. For two years. My friends, we've got to live for that which counts for eternity. We've got to finish our race well. How are you doing? As, as we're doing our, our culture study, as we're looking at our life, how are we measuring up, you guys? Do we still have that passion for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we still have that passion to make him known? Let's pray, please. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have of, of being here in, in Redwood City for the privilege of being at Grace Bible Church. Lord, for the opportunity to, to be in a country where your word is shared so freely, where we don't have to hide, we don't have to hide our Bibles. Lord, we can even share our faith without being worried about being put in a prison or, or thrown into a jail or being expelled for, for sharing with, with the nationals of the country. Father, thank you for that privilege. Thank you for your word and for how it speaks to us. And, and Lord, our desire as a body, as we pray to you this morning, is that we may all finish the race well, that we can, that we can run our course and, and do it in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. Lord, if, if we're becoming complacent, 
if we're getting our eyes off of the goal of what you've got for us, then Father, please stir our hearts again. Motivate us to live for you in a way that will bring honor and glory to your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.